Hello, and welcome to the Murderosity Podcast, where we discuss all things murder, mayhem, the mysterious, and the macabre. I'm your co-host, Bob Hancock, joined on the other side by Rebel Roan. Rebel, how are you this week? I am really good and also exhausted by this case. How are you? You know, this case is mentally taxing. It's not murder. It's not, you know that part of our podcast but there's definitely mayhem i would even dare say there's some macabre and it is definitely full of mystery yes to this day this case is is still boggling the minds of legal minds and laypersons alike this is this one's this one's going to be a twisty turny one dear dear listener so what are we discussing i have a long one it is a long one. It is a long one. But I will say that it's worth the listen. So, yes. you know, strap in if you have to take it in small bits. You know, you're always welcome to, to pause and come back. But th- this case is, is, a, is a mouthful for sure. So do we have anyone to thank for this week's case? We do. So we want to give a shout out to Andrea Hancock for this case. Thank you very much for that. Very much appreciated. And I just want to say that this case feels a little tabloidy. It's full of a lot of he said, she said, and a lot of speculation. So where does it take place? So it takes place in Westfield, Indiana, and it begins in 2010. So Westfield, Indiana. Westfield was actually founded back in May 6th in 1834 by a group known as the North Carolina Quakers specifically Asa Bales, Ambrose Osborne, and Simon Moon. Now, it's believed that the town was actually planned as a stop on the Underground Railroad, with many families of the Religious Society of Friends and the Wesleyan Methodist Church supporting the cause. For those of you that don't know, the Underground Railroad was, it was not literally a railroad, but what it did was it brought escaped slaves from the South through the North and then on into Canada, where they could live free and away from people that would, in theory, be trying to catch them and bring them back. So later on, there were laws that were passed that made aiding escaped slaves even harsher. So part of the Westfield Quakers Friends Meeting House actually split off and named themselves the Anti-Slavery Friends Meeting. So they were very, very committed to this. Now, Westfield itself was incorporated as a town in 1849. And then on January 1st, 2008, it was incorporated as a city, and Andy Cook was sworn in as mayor. It is also home to Grand Park, and Grand Park is the largest youth sports campus in the U.S. It has 26 baseball and softball diamonds, 31 multi-purpose fields for soccer, football, field hockey, lacrosse, an indoor event center that was opened in July of 2016, it features three full-size multi-purpose fields, an indoor basketball and volleyball facility that features eight courts, with two of them being NBA regulated. And it was also opened and named after the Indiana Pacers of the NBA. Now, Grand Park features an abundance of green space as well and more than 10 miles of walking and biking trails. And it's a, it is uh, the largest trailhead on the Monon Corridor. Now, in 2017, 
Westfield signed a 10-year contract with the Indianapolis Colts, and they actually do their annual training camp there. The park is a huge generator of revenue with about 750,000 visitors and 1.9 million visits on average per year. As far as some notable, yeah, well, as far as some notable people, um, competitive eater Joey Chestnut comes from there, and also suspected serial killer Herb Baumeister. And that's about as much happiness as we're going to get out of this case today. So, who are we actually going to be talking about? So, we're going to discuss Natalia Grace Barnett. She was born in the Ukraine to a woman named Anna who gave her up for adoption. That much has not been disputed. However, her date of birth very much has been. So, she was originally from the Ukraine. And a lot of families do do foreign adoptions. Now, the reason that Ukraine, at least at that time, was such a great option is that the adoption fees in Ukraine are very attractive compared to the rest of the world where adoption is possible. Actually, Ukraine's one of the cheapest countries for adoption. They offer an inexpensive program, which is about 9,500 US dollars depending on age, health, and the region where the child is placed. Now, other countries can charge 20000 or more for foreign adoption. That's just the cost of the adoption. You still would have to travel to Ukraine, live there for a certain period of time while you're going through the process and whatnot. So in total, you're probably going to spend about $20,000. But other countries charge $20,000 just for the fees alone. Currently, however, it is not possible to adopt children from Ukraine. The children that were typically up for adoption in orphanages, they're currently in Poland for safety reasons because of the war going on there right now. Now, when it's possible, they'll return to their country and things can resume. The other thing with that, though, is there is only one adoption agency in Ukraine, and that is run by the government. So, again, it's in this case especially, you're going to find out how complicated this adoption actually was, but that's laying a groundwork for why she would have been brought over from Ukraine. So where does it all begin? It all begins with the Barnett family. Michael and Christine Barnett had been married for about 15 years and had three sons, Jacob, Wesley, and Ethan. Barnett's were doing well financially, living in a nice area of town with a 5,000 square foot house across the street from a park, and they owned several vehicles. Michael states that they were a tight-knit family at the time. Jacob had autism and was extremely intelligent, even giving teen TED Talks and appearing on 60 Minutes, as well as having many other accomplishments. Christine wrote a parenting book that was published and ran a daycare from their home, specializing in special needs kids. In 2010, Jacob's place, the daycare, made over $145,000. The book deal made $600,000, a fraction of which was supposed to go to Jacob, though he stated that he never received anything. There was a movie deal in the works, and Christine was a consultant. However, everything changed in just a few short years. The Barnetts decided that they wanted to adopt a girl, as they were not able to have any more children. Michael stated that originally this would be a girl from Haiti named Gilberta. However, an earthquake in the area shut down all adoptions within the country. An adoption agency in Florida called Adoption by Shepherd Care called the Barnetts and told them they had a child with special needs. 
She was a little person who had been diagnosed with a reactive attachment disorder. They had 24 hours to decide if they wanted to adopt her or she'd be placed in foster care. She'd been previously adopted and her adoptive parents were returning her. According to Michael, the family traveled to Florida to pick her up from the agency on April 26, 2010, which was reportedly in a rundown strip mall in Hollywood, Florida. According to Michael, the agency told him that it would be a closed adoption, so there was not much information about the child they were getting, though they knew she had been adopted before. The agency did give them two photos and a Ukrainian birth certificate showing her birth date as September 4, 2003, making her six years old. The Barnetts waited for around an hour, signing adoption papers. The prior adoptive parents left, and Natalia was led into the room. The adoption was a happy day for the Barnetts. The first week was a fun-filled holiday to Disney World, but all that quickly changed when, according to Michael, they gave Natalia her first bath and she had pubic hair. Nonetheless, they had a party for her when she got back to Indiana. In the first few months, Natalia reportedly had her period and used socks in place of feminine hygiene products, then threw them out the window. Christine later found them and recorded a video where she forced Natalia to tell Michael about her period. All right. First off, we're going to have to work under the assumption that what Michael and Christine are telling us is true. If we do so, this would be what's known as an incomplete puberty. So premature puberty, or the development of pubic hair before the age of eight in girls or nine in boys is most commonly caused by premature adrenarche. Now, adrenarche is the maturation of the adrenal zone so in both boys and girls, resulting in the development of, of pubic hair, auxiliary hair, and also an adult body odor. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later as far as this goes, but the other things that are here as far as her pubic hair and her emitting an odor, that points to this. So Christine's and Michael's freak out to this, again, if it's true. If they had done just a little bit of research or a little bit of understanding, they, they, they could see how it is possible that this happens. Mm-hmm. And a bit of foreshadowing, all of this is very important to things that are coming up in this case. Right. So what you said that Natalia was a, a little person. Like, can, can you expound on that a little bit? Yes. Natalia had a rare form of dwarfism and her doctor put the Barnetts in touch with another family that had a six-year-old with the same form as her. When they met up, Michael stated that his daughter was much larger than the other child. He stated that Natalia had the full forehead and defined cheekbones of an adult. The other family agreed that she appeared to be an adult and never reached back out for another playdate. When pressed for details about her time in the Ukraine, Natalia was unable to provide them. When presented with a woman speaking Ukrainian, she didn't understand the language. Michael stated that she had been in the Ukraine until the age of five. She didn't speak with an accent, nor did she know the Cyrillic alphabet. All right. So, again, I have some rather strong opinions on this. For those of you new to the podcast, I don't live in the U.S. I live in Europe. And the whole thing with accents is it is not reliable at all. I know Germans here that speak with a very American accent. I have a friend from Hungary who speaks with a British accent because they lived there for a good while. 
the fact that Natalia learned English from Americans means that she would probably sound very American. The fact that she doesn't know the Cyrillic alphabet when she had only lived there for a short time. We don't know what her her schooling entailed. We also don't know when this woman came and spoke Ukrainian. There are different dialects. There's there's plenty of reasons that she could that she may or may not have understood what this woman was talking to her about. It just feels to me that the Barnetts are always looking for any straw they can grab at and making mountains out of molehills. So that's that's my thought on it. Now, did any of the other family members have any opinions or thoughts on this? According to Jacob, the dynamic within the family began to shift and there was a level of distrust. Natalia reportedly had behavior issues and soiled herself frequently. Michael and Jacob stated that she began to hide knives in her room. Natalia stated that Christine treated the boys like they were her sons, but didn't treat her the same. They didn't bond and didn't seem to like one another. Natalia speculated that they didn't send her back because they wanted to uphold their reputation in the community. Christine confided in neighbor Rachel Ambler that Natalia wasn't who she said she was and mentioned the situation with the knives. Ambler responded by removing her family from regular communication with Barnett's and telling her daughter that they needed to find new friends. Ambler stated that Christine didn't show the same level of pride with Natalia as she did with her sons. Kimberly Franklin, Michael's sister, stated that her brother confided in her his fears. The Barnett's reached out to the adoption agency and reportedly received no guidance. They also visited multiple therapists over the course of months, and Michael stated that one of them diagnosed Natalia as a sociopath. So, one thing that I would like to address on this is the childhood sociopathy. First of all, do sociopathic children exist? You may have heard a parent describe a child as a sociopath because of certain behaviors, but that's actually different than a formal diagnosis, which is what Christine is claiming here. So, like, we all knew, like, childhood bullies that would torment other kids. Usually they're just obnoxious. Sometimes they're very mean. Physical aggression, emotional harassment that gives the bully, like, power over people. The ordinary playground variety bully, however, is not a sociopathic child. Many people have heard chilling stories on the news or, you know, talking at work or stuff like that about kids setting fire, torturing animals, engaging in extreme bullying as well. And they don't really care about consequences. However, these are also not sociopathic children. The reason I say this is as far as in the United States, as far as psychologists go, for ethical reasons, as well as the changing nature of children as they grow and develop, dictate that a person cannot actually be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder which is the clinical term for a sociopath, until they reach the age of 18. Therefore, a child or an adolescent can't be labeled as a sociopath regardless of their behavior. So there's no real thing as sociopathic children. I understand why we give those labels, but my point on this is, is that she is saying that Natalia has been diagnosed as this. Now, 
there is such a thing as a child who behaves badly and there's they can be a danger to people to themselves to property and some people would say that the child shows sociopathic tendencies which may have been what was said but that still isn't a diagnosis of sociopathy so before the age of 18 the diagnosis would be conduct disorder or if it's not as extreme oppositional defiant disorder now while a child or adolescent can't be labeled as a sociopath a requirement of the adult diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder is that disregard for and violation of the rights of others and not caring about the consequences and yes you can see that you know in younger people than 18 but in the majority of cases this equates to a diagnosis of conduct disorder so this is just another case here where i think that christine probably talked with the counselor said this is what's happening this is what she's doing and the counselor may have said that she is showing sociopathic tendencies but that's still not the same as a formal right. diagnosis so were there any specific actions that michael or christine said natalia did that might have made them think this way yes michael alleged that he awoke one night to natalia standing at the foot of the bed with a knife in her hand he states he asked her what she was doing and she replied with nothing he asked what she was doing there and she didn't know she later denied this though he stated i know what i saw Regardless of the events that had purportedly taken place, Michael stated they never considered taking her back to the adoption agency. One day, according to Michael, Natalia put a household cleaner in Christine's coffee cup. On a home video recording in 2012, Natalia can be seen reading. When asked what she is reading, she states the Bible. When asked why, she said, to get rid of these evil thoughts. Christine can be heard asking what thoughts, and Natalia responded with hurting people. When asked what happened when she had those thoughts, she said, it makes me want to do them. The Barnetts put Natalia in inpatient hospitalization at LaRue Psychiatric Hospital. According to social media messages between Michael and Christine, Michael wrote, everything will be so awesome in August, just you wait and see. If she gets put away, we are going to take a week off someplace. However, the hospital called to say that she wasn't in need of hospitalization or therapy, and the Barnetts picked her up and sent her to a halfway house until, reportedly, Christine grew concerned about her reputation if something were to happen to her there. By the end of 2012, the Barnetts filed for Natalia's case to be heard by Marion County Court to have her age corrected. The judge had a petition prepared by an attorney, and the judge calculated that since she hadn't grown in four years and stated that adults typically stop growing at age 18, he aged her to 22 years from eight years old. Reaging is not unusual in the case of international adoptions, but it's usually only a couple of years, not 14 years. Michelle Jackson, the Barnett's attorney for reaging Natalia, stated, At the time of her reaging, there was good solid documentation of an approximate age, and she had a primary care physician that looked at all of it and also provided evidence. So that doctor was looking at lots of other doctors' information and coming up with a determination. She also stated, and at that point, when it's such a huge amount of years, you, you just have to say what makes the most sense based upon the evidence and the professionals, what they think. And it's in the best interest of the child to change their age. I'm not the doctor and I'm not the judge, but I feel like it was based on something credible. 
They gave her a new birth certificate and a new Indiana ID showing her date of birth is September 4th, 1989. Re-aging is not terribly uncommon with foreign adoptions, but it's very, very rare to have it be this many years, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if the date on your birth certificate is incorrect, then you may be able to legally change your birth date. However, you may not be able to change your age or birth date without evidence that your birth certificate date is wrong. Using a, a different age or birth date may not be a big deal. In this case, it massively is. This little tidbit here is going to ripple effect the rest of today's show. It just does. The re-aging process here, though, seems very, to me, poorly done. We're going to give you some examples later as to why, but this part of the case here is one of the most tragic misuses of the court system, in my opinion. There is definitely an injustice there. Massively. Once Christine got her way and got Natalia re-aged, what did she do? Christine found Natalia in an apartment at the Union Street Apartments in Westfield, not wanting her back at their house. They paid the first three months of rent up front. It was a single-story, one-bedroom apartment. They gave her a few small furnishings for the apartment and bought her groceries. An elderly neighbor assisted in carrying in the groceries as Christine left them on the sidewalk. Natalia received food assistance benefits, though the amount is unknown. Another neighbor stated that she hadn't done basic hygiene things and would wear the same clothes for days at a time. The building manager stated that she would come in every day because there was a candy bowl and would sit and speak with her. The manager asked her how old she was, and Natalia shrugged her shoulders and said, I don't know. Neighbors reported that they rarely saw the family come over to see her, never the boys, but the adults would come and drop off groceries, but never to visit. After becoming worried about her ability to care for herself, they called for a welfare check by the Department of Children's Services, who then began an investigation. Heather Wilson had investigated Natalia prior to her re-aging in the Barnett home in 2012. Approximately a year later, Wilson began an investigation into the suspected negligence of her. Michael recorded a conversation with Natalia where he asked what Heather Wilson had spoken to her about. She told him that Heather had gotten a report on her Michael said, and did Heather talk about what she's trying to do? Natalia hesitated and said, um, no. Michael replied, okay, well, I think she did. Well, Heather told us that you told her that we only bring you food every two months, and I showed her all the receipts for all the food I bring over, and she knew you were lying about that. Um, they were going to, they're going to try to do stuff, but we showed that everything to our lawyer, and our lawyer said that they can't do anything. Like, they're not even supposed to come over here. So whatever Heather was trying to do with you didn't work. He asked about what else Wilson had talked about, and Natalia said that they talked to her, stating, we talked about me going crazy, that I had to go to Community North Hospital, and that I've been going crazy. In the recording, Michael took Natalia's phone and deleted the contents. He said, well, I deleted everything. Deleted all the phone calls and text messages to her, right? He handed the phone back to her, and he said, here, and now you can't even talk to her. Natalia simply replied, oh. So, the fact that Natalia simply replied, oh, this, when you watch that video, it's hard. It's really hard to watch it. And the reason I say that is, like, 
given what we know now, if you're just watching it at that time, you think, okay, so is she, she 22? She's an adult. Or if you're putting it into the perspective of she's a child and she's sitting there and the person that's supposed to be protecting you has just taken away your autonomy and your means to protect yourself. And the way Michael says this, it's almost like he's gloating over the fact that he is abusing this person because that that's what it is. This is, this is just another form of isolationism just because they aren't living with her anymore. doesn't mean that they still aren't trying to absolutely control every aspect of what she can do and say. And that, that video, the videos that they took, and I don't, I don't understand why they're videotaping themselves doing this. It does not paint them in a good light. No, it and, doesn't. And Natalia, for her part, she's not acting out. She's not screaming. She's not freaking out. She's taking it very much in stride. Like, yeah, I, I expect you to be this way. So, yeah. If, if you do take the time to see some of these things, dear listeners, some of them can be pretty rough. And that one was particularly rough for me. Mm-hmm. Now, did they start changing any of their habits at this point? They did. They began making regular grocery trips for her, though Christine came less. Michael recorded himself demanding to know where she got donuts from because he didn't buy them for her. When she admitted that one of her neighbors brought them to her, he then asked why she brought them over. Natalia simply said, to be a nice neighbor. Michael said, well, you never tell me the truth. Natalia wrote a handwritten letter of the thing that she recanted saying, like saying, told people my milk was getting rotten, though it was not, because I get groceries every weekend. She also wrote, I'm doing this because I'm trying to intimidate mom and dad. I'm trying to frame them by making my parents look mean. Speculation is that this was dictated by the Barnetts to get DCS off their backs. One neighbor reported that Christine took Natalia to her wearing fresh clothes with a haircut and told her to... Tell this lady you're sorry and everything you told her is a lie. Neighbors reported that she was lonely and would constantly come over or call. They had begun to set boundaries and make complaints to management to get her evicted. The building manager said, I think people were creeped out by her. This sounds so terrible that anytime there was a sighting of her, someone came to me and said, I saw her today and this is what she was doing. She was the talk of the town. Reportedly, Natalia began walking into neighbors' houses if their doors were unlocked. One neighbor said she was always hungry, always wanting food. She's a sly fox because she could con you in just her way. Everybody dreaded it. She was scary. So this also, to me, screams of a a childlike behavior. When you see the things that she does, like she, she would go and play with the little kids, which if you think she's an adult, that could seem a bit creepy. But when you see them interacting, she's not like she's not acting like she's an adult. And it's even harder to watch her because you you can see that she's not able to take care of herself. Her hair is very greasy. It's very unkept. They said that there was a body odor that was coming from her. The videos again of this, it's tragic to watch. And the neighbors there are operating under the assumption that this is a grown woman. Whereas right. that's that's not adult behavior. Adults don't typically just walk into other people's houses. Kids do. 
kids will come in and be like, hey, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Can I have a sandwich? At least you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't uncommon for that to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's to me, it, it fits these patterns. And she's always hungry. She she's a child. She can't take care of her hunger needs like an adult can. Like if you or I get hungry, we go to the kitchen, we make ourselves something to eat. She never had someone to teach her how to take care of herself and how to feed herself and whatnot. So, I mean, I can only imagine what she must have been going through. It's it's rough. It is. It absolutely is. So what did Natalia do about this at this point? So at one point, Natalia is reported to have called 911 stating, I'm stalking one of my neighbors. I want to hurt them. I'm afraid of what might happen if someone doesn't help me. She reportedly admitted to neighbors the previous problems with the Barnets where she had the knives and tried to poison them. She stated she had to live in the garage for a while and seemed very apathetic about the situation. So agreeing with you on that, she seemed very nonchalant, just threw it into normal conversation to Mm -hmm. the point where, to me, it felt incredibly coached. It just doesn't feel... It never felt normal when she's talking about it like that. It never flows normally. It's very, very clunky. It's very rehearsed. Right. And again, these these are just patterns of abuse that we keep seeing. Yes. So what did the neighbors think? So neighbors could not understand why she was left in the apartment by herself. Some neighbors began to contemplate cutting ties with Natalia, and one described it as a bad breakup, stating, if I break up with you, are you going to go crazy? DCS spent weeks investigating Natalia at the Union Street Apartments. However, as she was legally an adult, they were forced to close their case. The building manager pointed out that she did behave a lot like a child, like going to the office every day for candy, shrugging her shoulders when asked her age, walking into neighbors' houses whom she considered a friend. Some neighbors reported that she made sexual advances on men and boy children, but these were unsubstantiated, and Natalia denied any wrongdoing. So... We discussed a bit earlier how they put her in inpatient care. Mm -hmm. When they did that, because she had pubic hair, they did house her with adults. And there they said that she would also make sexual comments at times. There was issues here where they, they said the same thing as you stated. But a lot of this also, again, points to patterns and behaviors of abused children and that's kind of a well-known thing to have happen in a lot of these children's homes and orphanages and that's horrible but to me that's that's what i feel like i keep seeing i keep seeing the actions of an abused child in multiple different ways now natalia has never said anything along those lines she's never said that anything like that ever did or didn't happen but she would have been very very young so, right. again, this is Bob, your co-host, speculating, but with all the other episodes, again, that we have researched and delved into and personal research and observations as well, that's what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing a child who has suffered abuse, and it's definitely affected how she interacts with those around her. Yes. But I'm assuming that the neighbors didn't take too kindly to her. No. Due to numerous complaints made to the building manager, the Union Street Apartments chose not to renew Natalia's lease at the end of the one year in 2013. 
Christine began looking for a new apartment for Natalia and went to Lafayette, Indiana in Tippecanoe County, where she found an apartment that had numerous stairs and was on the second floor. The area had a higher crime rate than Hamilton County. Natalia signed up for a GED course there. There was a homeless shelter down the street, and neighbor Kino Weaver stated that she herself took precautions anytime she was inside or outside of her home in Lafayette. She was not set up with other services as a disabled person needed, no doctors or therapeutic services. At this time, the Barnetts had plans to move to Canada to support 14-year-old Jacob's education as he was accepted into the Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, Ontario, where he was to study for a year to obtain his master's degree. This would also be their last year as a married couple. They saw Natalia a few times before they moved, but that was it. Natalia later stated that she didn't know where she was going when she moved to Lafayette. They just took her there. She stated she didn't want to live there or the apartment in Westfield. She wanted to live with the Barnetts. Natalia stated, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to be by myself. After the move, Michael sent a social media message to Christine on July 16th, 2013, reading, I just got chewed out by the new Natalia apartment people. You never gave me the electricity info. She's been without power for three days. Stop trying to control how she interacts with others. It does not work and always causes issues. Christine responded, give her her food card and wipe out her contact list and clear out her stuff so she doesn't go to Hamilton County and call everyone. Michael messaged, I'll wipe the contact list, but if you think she doesn't have those numbers memorized, you're crazy. Christine messaged, we'll call the apartments tomorrow for Natalia, to which Michael responded, and I will sit inside with a shotgun with a smiley face. The apartment was not accommodating for her disability either. She couldn't reach the stove, the dials for the washing machine, and as previously mentioned, had numerous stairs she had to climb. The Barnetts took her cell phone, and there was no landline. When they did give her back the cell phone, they'd done as discussed and wiped her contact information. The Barnetts moved to Canada and received a call from the adult GED center asking if they'd seen Natalia. The adult learning center also called the police and filed a report on her, suspecting her of being a child. As it turns out, she wasn't missing. She was with a person named Cynthia Manns. The Barnetts called Manns and she stated that Natalia was fine and had moved in with her. Cynthia and her husband, Bishop Antoine Manns, had welcomed her in, into their home with their 10 children. The Barnetts called the police and Adult Protective Services, who went over and investigated. Natalia had been using her food stamps card at the Manns' house and signed over her social security checks to the Manns out of Michael's name. He stated that they'd used the social security money to pay Natalia's rent and utilities. Natalia then sublet her apartment and was evicted as it was against the lease's rules. The man's attempted to file for guardianship of Natalia, but the courts denied it. She lived with the man's from 2014 forward, and by that point, it had been five years. Man stated that after the electricity had been cut off, Natalia came to live with her. Man's and Christine had a verbal altercation over the phone, and man's eventually ended the call. In 2014, Michael left Christine. She stayed with the boys in Canada, and he returned to Indiana. While in Canada, Christine recorded an argument where Michael yelled at her to shut up or he'd kill her. She used this as evidence to go to the Canadian police in order to keep him from being able to come back into Canada for fear of him being arrested. In September 2014, Detective Bob Goldsmith interviewed Natalia and suspected she was at most 11 years old. When asked if she'd ever been abused, she closed up and stopped talking. 
Between 2014 and 2019, a number of law enforcement agencies investigated Natalia's case. In 2019, Detective Brandon Davenport began investigating the case and things began to change. Davenport stated that when he went to visit Natalia in Lafayette, she didn't have her specialized shoes or walker. He said, when I showed up to this apartment, it is not catered to a person that is a little person. I'm just completely shocked. Davenport visited Michael at his home in Indiana and stated that he had speculations about Christine. Michael said, she's a master manipulator. She will do whatever it takes till she gets everything. So again, we have seen these interviews. You and I have heard them. We've watched them in preparation for this case. Michael is right in so much as Christine is a master manipulator and she will Mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to get what she wants. The flip side of that coin is Michael, who is incredibly manipulative. Every, Every time you see him in front of the camera, you can see him, even when he tells the same story in completely different ways, He's doing everything he can to evoke sympathy for him. Right. So for me to hear him, and he's not wrong, but in a total manipulative way, he's only giving you half of the story. He's giving you the half that he wants you to have. So. Half that makes him look good. Exactly. And the thing is, is even with all of that, it's still, he still doesn't look as good as he thinks he does. Right. So, did Davenport do anything else? Yes. Davenport asked why she chose Lafayette for Natalia. Michael responded, Christine said to me, Lafayette is a white trash town. No one's going to care. No one's going to notice. So I'm going to put her there. Natalia is not going to be able to con or manipulate anybody. Davenport stated, I think Christine took her over there and abandoned a child. I think in your heart you know that it was wrong. How old do you think Natalia really is? Michael said, right now, this second, today, if I had to put money on it, 2022. This means, according to Michael's own words, that when she was living in Westfield, she was only 16. Davenport interviewed Natalia's teacher, who stated, she acted like she belonged, so I pretty much taught her like she was supposed to be in first grade. She wasn't reading chapter books or doing crazy math problems. He asked if Natalia had been a standout student or had been so smart that she couldn't have been there, and the teacher responded, no. Medical records from the adoption agency also backed this up, stating she was in a normal developmental period for her age. The principal stated, Christine could be pretty feisty. We heard reports that were concerning to us about how Natalia's parents interacted with her. They sounded like they were mean to her, honestly. And so if we ever brought anything up like that with Christine, she just flipped. Christine took Natalia out of school to homeschool her at Barnett Academy, which was where Jacob was also educated. Michael later alleged that Christine forged documents to make Jacob pass classes with a higher grade than he'd accumulated. According to Christine, Natalia could pass her GED if given the test. However, she couldn't complete the work that Christine gave her. Later, Michael claimed no knowledge of calls Christine stated that she was getting on a daily basis about Natalia ramming children with her wheelchair and causing harm. However, in a deposition prior to that, he claimed he did have knowledge. The school faculty refuted the accusations. On September 12, 2019, Michael called Indiana State Police and said, I just had a friend send me a link to a story that said I'm charged with two counts of child neglect. Is that correct? The police officer responded, yes. 
Michael replied, what can I expect from here? The officer said, you obviously know that Natalia was not old enough. Natalia, I don't believe, is 30 years old. Michael responded, sir, I honestly don't know what to do or what to say, and began crying softly. The officer responded, you could either wait for them to pick you up, they'll end up taking you to a local Indianapolis, or you can just turn yourself in in Lafayette. There's some amount of accountability here, okay? Michael and his attorney went to Tippecanoe County Jail once the charges were filed the next day and he turned himself in. He was booked and fingerprinted, then a mugshot was taken. He bonded out of jail about an hour later. Christine turned herself in the next day and also quickly bonded out. From there, the Barnetts pitted themselves against one another and more reported details came to light. Michael stated that Christine manipulated the household and was abusive. Jacob reports that the relationship between her and Natalia was very hostile. So, on this, like you pointed out earlier, that Michael would say, oh, I had no idea that this happened, but then he did. He knew what the allegations were. The thing is, is with the documentary that you and I have both viewed, they interviewed Michael at two different times. And you can see him saying one thing in the first interviews and saying a very different thing in the second one Mm -hmm. with absolutely no acknowledgement of him flip-flopping about. What the detective said to him is something that Michael still does not to this day accept or understand, and that is there is some amount of accountability here. At some point, you have to take responsibility for what you did, good or ill. And neither Michael nor Christine are doing that. So I'm going to assume, though, that Michael did have more to say about this. Yes. Michael stated that at one point, Christine made Natalia stand with her nose on the wall for an entire day, well over eight hours, for not telling them who she was or who she, and who she knew. He stated that on at least three occasions, Christine beat her. Davenport asked Michael how badly did he see her get beaten. Michael said, I'm stunned that Natalia did not break into a thousand pieces. She beat the holy blank out of her. It's not open hands, it's, it is fists, it is elbows. I'm afraid. I am afraid of it as it's going on. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. Davenport said, everything you say to me sounds real. I do think that Christine was a master manipulator. He was leading Michael into giving more information and making him believe that he was not the target of the investigation. That's a pretty common police tactic. And when you listen to the audio recordings of these two interacting, that's exactly what you hear. You hear him gently leading Michael down the road he wants him to take Mm -hmm. while making Michael believe that he's his friend and they're on the same side. Yeah. And for his part michael acts like he wants to believe that because whether michael took an active role in the beatings and abuse that we don't know we can speculate we have again a he said she said tabloidy feel to this but what cannot be denied is that he was silently complicit to the abuse by not standing up and saying something he contributes to it and 
during one of his interviews, he talks about another one of the times that Natalia supposedly tried to kill Christine by trying to drag her into an electric fence. And he says that his wife was so frail and so weak because of her fight with lupus. Yet here he's saying how he's terrified of her and doesn't know what to do. And Michael is not a small guy. He's yeah. he, He's got broad shoulders. He, he looks like he works out fairly regularly. I know he was at least an athlete at some point in his life. And if his wife is so frail that a little person can drag her into an electric fence, how is Michael not able to stop this woman from doing that? Exactly. I don't. I don't see it. I don't get it. But yeah, I'm sure Michael has more to say on this subject. Of course. In social media communication on November 4th, 2013, Michael wrote, I got one of you beating the holy freaking hell out of Natalia in the living room when you tried to beat the truth out of her. I get it. I know you're a good person and that's not like you, but it got out of hand. She deserved it, but still. Christine responded, whatever. She was very evil and you know it. She's a sociopath. How dare you compare yelling at me to flipping out on a criminal in my house, impersonating a three-year-old, threatening and poisoning people, and lying to get my husband to sleep in her room. Christine's tacit admission doesn't bode well for either of them. Davenport asked Michael for consent to look at his phone, and he said yes. Michael offered to turn in as much information on Christine as possible in order to try to levy his position, but Davenport made no promises to him. At the end of the conversation with Davenport, Michael asked, when you spoke with Natalia, did she state that I never harmed her and tried to keep Christine from beating her? Davenport retorted with, well, Mike, did you ever harm her? When he said no, the detective said, if you never harmed her, then she should have never said that, right? You could help make a difference and right or wrong here. On September 19th, 2019, there was a forensic interview with Natalia by a member of the prosecution team. When I was at the hospital, they signed paperwork and got me reaged. I got out of the hospital and they got me an apartment. In this interview, Natalia initially said that she wasn't abused, but then stated that they did. She stated that Christine whooped her and then let the boys do it and then let Michael do it. Natalia later speculated that part of her adoption for Christine was based on her image. Christine wanted to portray herself as someone who adopted a special needs child and garner support. In February 2019, Christine solicited donations from people writing, I am writing to you to join the international campaign to end the seclusion, restraint, physical, and verbal abuse of children with disabilities. Christine reportedly wanted to, quote-unquote, make another genius, as she supposedly did with Jacob. However, there were no genius attributes to the average Natalia. She did require a lot of surgeries to her lower extremities to straighten them out, and there were a lot of medical expenses. Jacob and Michael reconnected in his adulthood, but he and Christine did not. As of 2022, Michael had not seen his younger two sons in eight years, and they reportedly did not want anything to do with him. In the documentary, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace in 2022, Jacob didn't realize his mic was still on when he approached his father and said, So I told him about my last interaction with my mom. But I guess the moral thing I've been struggling with is if there's some shred of hope that she can be redeemed, I don't think it's worth dragging her character down anymore. Michael said, oh, I've done that. I'm done. You didn't hear my conversation with them yesterday. And I told the full and complete truth. That's a nice way of saying I put two rounds in a shotgun and I fired. It's okay. I feel like I deserve the right to tell my story. I didn't tell them that. 
I didn't tell them about the kicking down the stairs. Jacob replied, while kicking down the stairs, we said we're not going to say, right? My plan going into today was not tell them that. And furthermore, I understand there to be legal recourse to that. And you know I'm not really looking forward to being subpoenaed. Michael said, you can't be subpoenaed. You are a minor. Jacob then realized that his microphone was still on and the conversation came to a halt. Again, I have a little bit of a theory. I guess I'm the conspiracy theory guy today. (laughs) Jacob, in this scene, he's doing an interview downstairs in the basement where he's his bed is and he gets uncomfortable with the line of questioning and he wants to take a break and he goes upstairs and he talks to his dad and they go up another flight of stairs the camera team can still kind of see him now i wonder if it wasn't intentional on the part of father and son to accidentally with massive quotes let some of that information out because by doing it this way jacob's mom can't say well you told on me on purpose no he he, it was an accident i didn't mean for this to happen but at the same time he still gets to clear his conscience because as you watch his interviews you can see how much he's struggling with the things that happened in that house so Again, I could be wrong. Just a bit of, of theory. Just something that I saw when I watched it. But I can't I can't say for sure. Now, did Jacob say anything else? Yes. Jacob later said that due to Natalia's frequency of soiling or urinating on furniture, blankets, and the bed, Christine's solution was to have him, 12 years old at the time, urinate in Natalia's bed. He stated he felt anger towards Natalia while doing it, almost as if enacting revenge. In 2022, he stated he felt horrible about doing it, and it kept him up at night. In 2019, Natalia stated that she'd been forced to say a lot of things. It all boiled down to her actual age and whether or not the Barnetts would be facing criminal charges. There were two sets of charges, one with Natalia being a child, the other with her being a dependent adult with disabilities. Davenport reached out to Dr. McLaren, a family physician, who was part of her being aged up, and he said that Natalia had told him she was over 18. The detective and prosecutors then went to the Ukraine in 2019 to find Anna Gaba, now Kolodai, Natalia's alleged mother. They wanted to obtain a DNA sample to verify she was her mother. The DNA test results came back, and Kolodai was Natalia's biological mother. In a 2022 interview, Kolodai stated that she was born April 20th, 1979, in Latvia. She confirmed that Natalia was born on September 4th, 2003. She stated that she didn't want to give her up for adoption, but that her disability would require a $100,000 surgery that she couldn't afford. Michael refuted knowledge of Kolodai being Natalia's mother, despite the evidence. In a judge's ruling, the facts of Natalia's age were not admissible in court, so they would not be able to refer to her as a child when she was left in the first apartment in Westfield. All the witnesses were slated to discuss her age, but were no longer able to. In 2019, Dr. Joseph Bellflower stated that he saw Natalia in 2010 and that her growth plates were still open. He was told he could not refer to her as a child, but that she would be referred to simply as a person. The trial began, and Natalia struggled to understand and answer questions. If she was actually six when some of the events took place, it would make sense that she couldn't recall certain details. 
In the end, Michael was found not guilty on every count. Jane Parker, foreperson on his trial, stated that the jurors believed that he was guilty of abandoning her, but because of the judge's order stating that she was an adult, that's why they found him not guilty. Michael was subpoenaed to testify against Christine as soon as he was found not guilty. Later, Michael stated, I'm not the bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not mean. I didn't harm her. I've got double jeopardy. Later, it came out that Christine had tried on August 8, 2012, when Natalia was either 9 or 23, to set Natalia up with a little person named Freddie Gill, whom she had met sometime earlier and had discussed her daughter also having dwarfism before things took a more sexual turn. Gill stated Christine told him that Natalia and Michael began having sexual relations. Both Natalia and Michael deny these allegations vehemently. On March 23, 2023, prosecutors filed a motion to dismiss Christine's case, citing insufficient evidence to prove the charges against her. The court granted the motion. In April 2023, Natalia chose to participate in a second season that rebranded the curious case of Natalia Grace, Natalia Speaks. She started out by saying, There has been so much time that I've been just trying to figure out who I am. I have no idea. Because right now, this is like a 1,000-piece puzzle, and I think I have like maybe 300 pieces together. She stated that a lot of her younger memories are fuzzy, and she refuted the things Michael and Christine accused her of. She moved in and lived with the mans for over 10 years. In a court deposition in March 2023, Michael stated that he did not know how old Natalia was when they re-aged her. He stated that she told everyone she was a grown-up. Natalia stated that Christine had told her to lie. Michael stated that the adoption agency did not inform them of the potential medical costs relating to adopting Natalia. The doctors didn't know whether to treat her as a child or an adult. Natalia stated in 2023 that Christine had pepper sprayed her for not being able to complete physics work and made her wait about 10 minutes before she could go wash it out. She stated it just really hurt because she was supposed to be my mom, but she didn't act like a mom to me. Natalia stated that Christine told her to tell people she was 22, and when she refused, she beat her with a belt, and that Michael watched but didn't intervene. Michael said that he witnessed the abuse. Michael stated that while he witnessed the abuse, he froze and didn't know what to do. Natalia stated that she was originally adopted by Gary and Diane Chacon, and that they met with the Barnetts prior to their taking her. She was with the Chacones for about two years. She accidentally broke their son's arm while playing, and that was the main event that caused them to have her adopted back out. Jackie Starbuck, the former deputy prosecutors on the case, stated that it was clear there was something unusual going on with the Barnett family. There was a continued pattern of them not being able to determine Natalia's age, despite medical doctors stating that she was not an adult yet. There was also an email exchanges that came to light from 2010, where it proved that the Barnetts did know the Chacones and that it was not a closed adoption. There were several families of little people that wanted to adopt Natalia prior to the Barnetts, but all fell through. On June 3, 2010, Natalia was seen by Dr. Andrew Riggs, who told the Barnetts that she was a child between the ages of 9 and 11. The actual adoption agency for the Barnetts, Gateway Woods, furnished this information for them as well. Dental records were also revealed, as in 2011, Christine took her to see how old she was. The general dentist determined that she still had 12 baby teeth, making her between six and nine years old. Definitely too many to be considered an adult. Natalia underwent genetic testing at True Diagnostic in August 2023 by providing a blood sample. Based on the studies and analytics, they stated that she was approximately 22 years old at the time. At that time, she suspected she was 23. Detective Brandon Davenport said, Natalia deserves her story to be told truthfully. 
Natalia deserves justice. But I don't know if justice means that anybody goes to jail. That's not my place. I'm an investigator and I just put the facts together. And it's really a very unfair thing that's happened. The lies that were pushed onto her, the world should know that it's not true. She was a child. On April 12, 2023, it had been six months since Michael's acquittal. During the trial, there was a gag order that stated they could not speak with one another. Once that was lifted, Natalia stated that he reached out to her saying he wanted to talk. Natalia agreed to hear him out, stating that she had a lot of questions. Michael said, I just want everyone to be happy and heal and live their lives. I'm not here to lie. I'm not here to hide. I'm not here to scream. I'm not here to curse. But in the end, a bad guy wouldn't be here today doing this. I'm not a bad guy. And I kind of think that like, if you have to say you're not a bad guy, you're probably a bad guy. Antoine Manns accompanied her to the meeting with Michael. Before they entered the house, they said the, a prayer that was a little aggressive, saying that Michael was a liar and the devil. The meeting started out awkward and uncomfortable, and Natalia asked, Why are we here, Michael? She asked why he adopted her in the first place. Michael said, Many of these questions, there's not going to be a single answer. Look, I've learned recently you and I had the same monster, Christine. And we are here because we both were incredible victims of an otherworldly type of abuse. The conversation was intense, and Natalia asked what he meant by him suffering abuse and said, do you want to elaborate? He retorted with, yeah, you want to give me time to do it? Michael stated that he was controlled, put down, minimalized, and threatened. He stated that Christine's favorite threat was taking the boys away, and he wouldn't see them again. He said that he tried several times to leave. During the interview, Manns interjected, asking Michael not to curse. Michael's lawyer, Terrence Kinner, jumped in, and the conversation became heated. Michael stated, I'm out, then repeated, I tried, numerous times, then stormed out. Natalia went back to the park across the street from the old Barnett house, where Antoine Manns joined her. She told him, I'm just looking at the house. It's just like everything's coming back. My brain is everywhere right now. Natalia reached out to former neighbor Rachel Ampler regarding the fact that she didn't even try to stand up for her. Ampler was cordial, fond even. Natalia asked why she didn't come to her when Ambler had never seen anything. Ambler said, I didn't want to believe any of it, but I felt like she pushed me to believe it. She said she didn't really believe it, but that she was afraid of Christine. She said, I'm very ashamed of it. I had no reason not to believe her. She manipulated me. Natalia revisited her Lafayette apartment with Cynthia Manns. While there, they heard numerous gunshots nearby. Speaking about her experience with the Manns, Natalia stated, I felt safe when I met my parents, even though I didn't know who they were. They let me be a kid. Antoine and Cynthia showed me what a dad and mom were supposed to be like. They taught me what love is. In discussing her biological parent, Anna, who stated that she would like to see her, Natalia stated, I don't want to open that door of a relationship with Anna. I have a family here. I have my parents who raised me. It's different with Anna because she only gave birth to me, but she let me go pretty much the same day. On another day, about a month later, Natalia and Michael scheduled a second meeting. This time, Manns and Kennard were not allowed to be there. They picked up in conversation where they left off, with why Michael didn't just leave Christine. He stated he didn't have the strength to stand up to her. He said her name is evil. She asked what he knew about Christine's actions to Natalia, and Michael admitted that he knew a little, but seemed to deflect the question, saying that it would take a while to tell her what he did know. Natalia later said to interviewers, the thing is, for me, yes, you were a victim, but you was also the perpetrator. You were an accomplice of all of it, too. If Christine was his so-called monster, he could have fought her. I couldn't. 
She asked Michael about the age change, whose idea it was. He said he would not get into that subject and stepped outside for a minute. When he came back, she asked why they didn't just put her up for adoption again. Michael said, unfortunately, the real answer to that lies in evil's head. I can only make a couple of assumptions that are pretty good ones. During that time, something was wrong. Something was off. During that time, I had a conversation with the monster about, look, things aren't working right. Maybe this is no harm, no foul. Maybe we just walk away from this. And that was met with a very stern no. Michael speculated to Natalia that Christine saw the adoption as a societal thing. Allegedly, she loved the attention and used the adoption to prove how good of a person she was. In the end, Michael told her with teary eyes, I'm so sorry. Natalia replied, Michael, I forgive you. Michael's statements. Hmm. Again, they they ring very hollow to me. They're very manipulative. When Natalia would confront him with something, he deflects and he backs away, or he just straight up leaves. Yes. He is in no way, shape, or form showing remorse for what Natalia went through. He doesn't even acknowledge what Natalia went through, but instead says, well, see, I was abused as well. And I'm not saying that he wasn't. I'm not saying that this wasn't a case also of spousal abuse. But what I'm saying is he was a grown man who witnessed a grown woman beating a disabled child and he did nothing. Right. And when he admits that, he says, I couldn't stand up to her. I still can't stand up to her. And he starts crying like he wants to make you feel bad for him. And truthfully, I didn't. There was not a time where I could put his suffering over Natalia's suffering and say, I feel for you. Right. It didn't exist. And his statements have only been, how can I mess up Christine? How can I make myself look good? And it goes back and forth between those two things. So, dear listener... Please take the time to watch some of those interactions. Let us know what you think about it. But I I think most of our listeners will get where I'm coming from. Yeah. So tell me something at least a little bit good happens to Natalia. It does. In May of 2023, the Manns legally adopted Natalia and her name changed to Natalia Grace Renee Manns. Natalia said, trusting is not easy, especially when you've been hurt, but being adopted is an awesome thing, especially when you find that perfect family. At some point, Natalia may plan on filing civil suits against the Barnetts, but nothing has been filed at this time. She stated that she plans on having her age corrected and obtaining her GED. As of January 2024, Natalia has moved out on her own, and there seems to be some speculation that there's a conflict with the man's, but that's kind of undetermined right now. The documentary, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, Natalia Speaks, kind of goes into, at the very end, it's kind of a cliffhanger to probably debate you into watching the next season, but there's something that happens between her and the mans, and so we're kind of waiting to find out what happens after that. Ooh, the plot thickens. Yes. So, looking forward Um, to that, then. Yeah, definitely. Natalia also set up a GoFundMe, which has now garnered about $10,000. Her goal is for $20,000. And she said that she wants to start a photography business, buy a house, and pay for some corrective surgeries to her limbs and her spine. So 
We're interested to find out what else happens with that, but that's about all we have for Natalia right now. And then there's Christine. She refused to cooperate with the Curious Case of Natalia Grace documentary, and she issued a statement on January 4th, 2024 on her Facebook page. In part, it reads, Natalia was a very much loved and cared for member of my family. She was not abused by anyone in my family. I am certainly not going to claim that I was a perfect mom. Natalia has made these allegations before. The accusations of being abused are a way to deflect what she is actively doing to hurt other people. I am used to the constant accusation by Natalia. It also reads, for people wondering if I have been to jail, yes. I was booked into the Tippecanoe County Jail. I faced charges and the same allegations at the time. It was a case that should not have been brought. The fact that these false allegations are occurring after a trial with evidence which was dismissed is disturbing. It's like being assumed guilty after being proven innocent. While Natalia did live independently as an adult, she had very much support from our family and care and love until she decided to make the man her Medicaid payee and they became responsible for her medical care and income. I understand compassion people have for Natalia because I had the same compassion myself. In the end, I learned she is a sociopath. In regards to Michael, certainly his own mental health had been affected by us having adopted Natalia and the fact that we tried so hard to help her and could not in the end succeed at that. The deterioration of his mental health did lead to our divorce after Natalia. He did not abuse Natalia. I do not believe that this is the real Natalia who we saw in the documentary. I believe it is a mask. Natalia will go to great lengths to hurt people, but also gain tremendous amount of sympathy at the same time. Claiming abuse is the tool she uses to gain sympathy. I am sure it is not the root of the issue. I believe the root of the issue is her own identity and struggling with who she is and how she fits into this world, which must be difficult for her. Michael Barnett and Natalia Barnett may have the same monster, but that monster is not me. That monster, whether it is mental illness, sociopathy, or whatever it actually is, may be different for each of them, but it's within their own psyche. So I'm going to give some closing thoughts on this. For her part, Christine has been mostly quiet until the last time it was it was Thursday when she released this statement, I believe. And mm-hmm. I think it was in direct response to the releasing of the second season of the interesting case of Natalia race. Now, the reason I I bring that up is she, she, she has been very quiet. She hasn't been publicly defending herself. She hasn't been publicly going on the warpath like Michael. Now, Natalia has not necessarily been silent either. She's done a lot of interviews. She did one with Dr. Phil as well. And she hasn't really shied back from telling people what she knows and what she experienced. So when I read Christine's, you know, manifesto or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) because it is long. That is a long read. I think you paraphrased it very well, but it is a long read. And it's it's full of really, to me, just kind of nonsense. Like, there's not much substance to it. There is absolutely nothing in there that changed any of my opinions at all for the better. No. And I am honest enough to say that I'm not coming at this with just, say, an open mind, I should say. I have very strong opinions about this case, having watched the development of it. I mean, when I very, very first heard of it years and years ago, it made me think of the movie Orphan. And right. 
I, I wanted to have sympathy for this family that was going through all of this and, and how dangerous it was for them. But the more you get into this case, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing a terrified and abused little girl. And they're like, well, she had knives under her bed. That could have been for her own protection at that point because mm-hmm. she didn't know what else to do. These two people have tried to paint her in a light that is undeserving, in my opinion. Michael, to this day, cannot admit that they were wrong for changing the birth date. He says, well, I never met the woman. I don't know that that's her mother. Cool. The DNA knows it's her. Right. There are just things that you can't really argue with anymore. You were wrong. Take some accountability. Take some responsibility and move forward. This could have been so much worse. And that's horrible to think on. But all sorts of things could have happened with a child's living on their own. All sorts mm-hmm. of things. So, bottom line, for me, I see poor abused little girl, which is exactly what Christine's saying Natalia wants us to see. Then, good on her. She she did her production well, and she fooled me. But, ah, this case will, it'll drive you nutty. Yeah. When you look at the pictures of her when she was, you know, when she was first adopted, the couple of them that are from prior to adoption, she looks like a child. And as as time progresses, she looks more and more like an adult, as would be natural for when you hit puberty and start developing and things like that, you start to look older. So I think that now she looks like an adult, but I don't think that then she looked like an adult. I agree with that. As well, and also there's a picture where in in the packet that they gave her from, or that they gave the Barnetts when they moved her from the Ukraine originally, and she's clearly missing, like, two of her front teeth. She's clear, like, adults don't do that. Adults exactly. do not do that. And when you listen to the interviews in the courts as well, where the lawyers are arguing back and forth about what they can say and what they can't. Christine's lawyer latches onto the legality of the situation, which I understand he's trying to protect his client. It is what it is. But the thing is, is there's a difference between what is legally correct and what is a biological fact. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is expert testimony, DNA analysis, Several other things, they all point to Christine was wrong and Natalia was who she was billed as. She was a child. Like right. now, I, I agree with you. She looks like she's what? I think she's 20 years old or something like that now. Biologically, legally, she's 30 something. Right. But I, again, I, it's not that hard for me to see. And I don't really think if they're being honest, it's hard for them to see either. But. Yeah. People are going to see what they want to see. Yes. With that bit of emotion said, I believe, Rebel, that it might be time for our missing person of the week. It is, in fact, time for that. This case came from Allie. We appreciate the tip. This week's missing person case is Heather Sudley. 
Then 19-year-old Studley and her father, Jeffrey, moved out of their home in Burlington, Ontario in October 2021 to live off-grid for religious purposes. They stopped using social media and other known technology, as well as canceling their bank accounts. Her mother, concerned about her daughter and that she may not be able to leave, reported her missing in March of 2022. Investigators believe that Studley is with her father and that they may have relocated to the Sudbury area, but they have been unable to make contact with them. They were last seen in October of 2021 in the area of Meadowbrook Road in Burlington. Studley is described as white, approximately five foot seven inches tall, with a medium build. She has long, curly, light brown hair and brown eyes. She wears prescription glasses and has pierced ears and a pierced nose. If you have any information about Heather Studley, please contact Halton Regional Police Services at 1-905-825-4747, extension 2305, referencing case 2022-000-70954. You can also contact Crime Stoppers or send an email to the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains, and we'll put that information in the show notes. So, again, this is... Hopefully, this can be resolved rather no issue, but yeah, again, these missing person cases are always they're always tough, they're always really tough, like we want to see people brought home, we want to see health and happiness exactly, and this one i feel I feel like this one has a legitimate chance to getting a positive update, so we're gonna keep our fingers crossed and hope that that's the case because we'd rather have her be an update instead of a case exactly well rebel that was one heck of an emotional roller coaster it really was and this was the watered down version of what you and i studied this weekend (laughs) (laughs) yes it was so dear listener we did it so you don't have to but please feel free to check out the documentaries that we were we were talking about come over and Visit us on our website, check out the show notes, look at uh, the missing person of the week, see if it jars a memory or anything along those lines. Now, if they do choose to visit us on our website or they have friends and family that want to visit us, where can they find us, Rebel? So show notes are hosted at Murderosity.com. We can be found on most social media sites as Murderosity or Murderosity Podcasts. We always accept tips and we've been doing like these, both of these cases today were requests from listeners. So we have Andrea Hancock and Allie that have provided us with these tips today. And then, so we always accept those at murderosity at gmail.com. You can also always ping us on social media. We're happy to meet you where you're at. We are hosted on Podbean and you can listen to our podcast on most of the major podcasting hosting sites. So Apple, Amazon, Spotify, et cetera. And we're always looking forward to hearing from you. We will, of course, answer any questions, comments, concerns. We, we do love to interact with you on social media, on our website, email, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Well, well, Revel, I don't know if I can take any more of this joy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good good place to end the show this week. Alrighty. Well, please tune in next Friday. We have another absolutely riveting and exciting case coming to you, but you'll have to swing over and listen to us then. And until then, 
I'm going to say have a great one and we'll catch you next time. All right. Stay safe out there.